Hello and welcome to the ARC Podcast. I am Adam. I'm Joy. Welcome to the show. Today we talked to Candace Calvert. She's a author of many books with Tyndale. She's a former nurse and that's primarily what she draws upon when she writes her books. Mm-hmm. She's the author of the Mercy Hospital, Grace Medical, and Crisis Team series. And her medical dramas are interesting in that they offer readers a chance to scrub in, if you will, on the exciting world of emergency medicine. Um, she is from Northern California and um, is able to use that wonderful environment to write very prolifically. And if you go on Tyndale.com, you'll see that we have collections of ebooks um, in her series if you'd like to get them all at once. Yeah, we even got a chance to talk about her love of food, which is uh, reflected in her novella, The Recipe, which is also available uh, wherever ebooks are sold, so you should check that out. So we just had a really good time talking about her background, how she became a writer, and just her process of writing and what's in the future. Mm-hmm. So we hope you enjoy this episode, and be sure to check out her website at CandiceCalvert.com and all her books at Tyndale.com or wherever books are sold. Well, just to start off, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how that led you to be a writer? Oh, absolutely. Um, You probably know, most people know, that I was an ER nurse for more than a couple of decades. Uh, If that wasn't story fodder enough, uh, I had some life challenges. Like most of us, mine were rather dramatic. I, I like to call it the triple whammy that turned my life into a sad country song. I had an unexpected and, and painful divorce, uh, then a major California flood that threatened my home. And, and if that wasn't enough, uh, that was followed by a riding accident that landed me in my own trauma room. I had uh, eight broken ribs, fractured back, bleeding lung, broken neck, and spinal cord damage, uh, which affected my dominant arm. Uh, you know, very worrisome. I'd always prided myself in being strong. I I was a strong woman. Uh, The forced downtime, though, helped me to learn the difference between being strong and finding real strength. And I learned that that came through faith. Um, I also, during that time, um, wrote an inspirational story of the accident and my return to faith, and that was chosen for Chicken Soup for the Nurse's Soul. It was my first published work, and it launched my writing career. Uh, you might say God had a plan for me, for sure. It really is incredible how sometimes trial or pain or even those unexpected tragedies like you talked about are catalysts for change, seeing the world in a new way, and for God to reorient our lives. Oh, absolutely. I, I believe that. I, I use that often in my fiction. I like to see the hope that, that comes from, from something so unexpected and so uh, life-altering. Mm-hmm. Did, um, did you always uh, think about or want to be a writer? Or was it the, the act of you kind of being idle and not being able to do much? Uh, no, actually, I always, always wrote. I was one of those uh, people that loved essay assignments. All <laughs> those were I wrote little uh, journals since I was a, a little girl. Um, I always said someday I would do it. And then uh, my husband is, was kind of like one of those, uh, don't just talk about it, do it. And he signed me up for an online writing group. 
without telling me about it. And, and I just kind of went, whoa, and there I was, uh, learning the structure and leading up with other writers, and uh, the journey began. Mm. Now, on your blog, we noticed, and even in social media, that you're often called an author of medical, a medical hope opera. Can you explain to us what that means? Yeah, um, you know, I've long been a fan of TV medical shows. I think, um, you know, there are so many from way, way back. Um, and there's all this action, and there's all this drama, and all this adrenaline. But almost never do they address any issues of faith. And I can tell you that all my long years in the AR, I know how many prayers are sent up by patients and by concerned family and absolutely by the medical staff themselves. So I wanted, what I wanted to do, it came to me that I should be writing stories that showed the hearts um, behind the stethoscopes, behind the badges. Um, I wanted to, you know, I, when I pitched the story, I said I kind of wanted to give Grey's Anatomy a soul. <laughs> and, you know, because when it comes right down to it, I, I give my readers all the entertainment. They're going to get lights. They're going to get sirens and, and romance. But hope, too. And hope's really the best medicine of all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do, you, do you find yourself drawing... Um, inspiration from your career as a nurse? Are there stories in your books that actually happen to you, or is it just more, you know that environment, so you know the kinds of things that could happen? Um, you know, sometimes I joke that I'm, that I'm making uh, my characters up kind of like tailhead figures. I take a little of this and a little of that from people I've known, and, and for sure I take it from situations that I've been in. Uh, I try to show the, the the teamwork um, in these critical situations, not just the situations themselves, but, but the people, you know, what they're feeling, their strengths, their weaknesses, uh, behind all of the, the big drama and the action that goes on. But when I do draw, I draw from things that I've experienced. Uh, some of it's humorous, uh, a lot of it's tragic and, and very tense. But uh, I'd say, yes, it's real. Nothing specific. Uh, a lot of my former uh, teammates are like to say that, oh, I know that's me. Uh, not necessarily, but, uh, it, but it figures in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it makes it real, too. I, you know, my readers tell me that they feel that they're there, that they've just been dropped in the middle of a, of a medical drama, and, and that's what I want. Mm. Do you, uh, Candace? Uh, would you mind sharing a little bit about the series you've written for Tyndale? You've written quite a few books for us. And then maybe talk about your most recent one and or a project that you're working on now. Well, I've written um, a total of three uh, thus far medical drama series for Tyndale. Uh, the first one was uh, the Mercy Hospital series, and that was set right here in my native northern California. And I, and I lived... Um, several years in Texas, so I also wrote a Texas series. So Grace Medical is set in locations in uh, San Antonio, in uh, Austin, and in Houston. And most currently uh, is the Crisis Peak series. I'm just, uh, we're just now working on uh, getting book three. Maybe it's new out there. But the first book in the series, By Your Side, um, was set uh, right here in my native Sacramento, so you know it was kind of great to be welcoming readers into into my neighborhood. I enjoyed that. 
Uh, and then the second book, uh, Step by Step of the Crisis Taking Series, was set in San Diego, which is, uh, I think you know San Diego. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very <laughs> wonderful place to set a book. Research was quite nice. <laughs> hmm. So anyway, that's that's it. I've written the three the three series, and we're working on getting the book be out. Uh, it should be out in, in February. And all of them either show they're all medical medical um, based, hospital based, in, in a fictional hospital setting. Uh, but they uh, they bring in firefighters and law enforcement, and in this new series and rescue team, we had we had one that did rescue personnel, um, and in this new one, they are all the crisis chaplains or crisis uh, responders, which is I'm not sure it's ever been done, so it's particularly exciting. Hmm. Now I have something I've always wanted to ask you, actually. Um, your first book with Tyndale came out around the same time that I started working in marketing and social media departments oh. and I noticed right away that you were one of the first authors to like fully embrace social media and especially Twitter um, which I want to compliment you on oh thank you very much I actually do a lot more on Facebook I would say Twitter um, uh, I, I wonder what what made you uh, kind of be ahead of the curve on that when it came to uh, being on social media you know I think of myself as ahead of the curve, especially... Uh, Compared to some of our other authors, <laughs> you definitely were at that time. Is that right? Okay, well, that's wonderful to hear. You know, I think I'm just a social person, and, um, you know, I, with my children, they kind of got me initiated, but I love the give and take between... Uh, I love to have conversations with my readers and with friends. I like to share, and I love hearing about them, so, you know, I used to think of Twitter as... Um, it was kind of a little glimpse into these lives. I felt I likened it to like you're taking a walk at dusk, you're going down the streets, and you see a light on in a window, and you say, "Well, I wonder, I wonder what's going on. I wonder what they're having for dinner." I, you know, and it's, I'm curious. I guess those writers were all curious about people, and I loved the fact that it was little glimpses, just little glimpses into the lives, warm. Hopeful glimpses, and, and uh, you know, I just, I guess, it just came natural to me. It still does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really neat. It's wonderful, just from a marketing perspective, to have a teammate in the author to all be working for the same goal together. Because I think that really touches a lot more people. And you, Candace, obviously know the message of your book. And I'm wondering, as you see those lights on, you know, and seek people out, what are some of the things that you'd like to impact? your readers with? What are the themes? What are the, the felt needs that you seek to touch? Well, I think quite often I was actually trained as a, as a lay chaplain and as a peer counselor for critical stress. I think you see a lot of that in my earlier books. What I like, you know, we all have these, these feelings about people we think we know because of what they do, the way, the way we present ourselves professionally. Uh, who they are, and you know, it can become kind of cliche, especially because of TV and movies and that sort of thing. And what I like to do is, um, is I like to make it very human. I, I like to feel that my readers are sitting there speaking with these characters, getting getting a real look into who they are as people, what they care about, what their flaws and strengths are, and and just knowing them. So I I, I think. 
what I do a lot is show that um, that these people doing all of these heroic things are really vulnerable inside. They're just like you, and they're just like me, and they're just like all of them. I like that that humanizing thing. And, and when I hear from readers, it's they'll often say, you know, I, I, I never thought of it that way. I always thought of a doctor as you know, the white coat and and, and uh, you know always correct and always sure of himself. And, and when he's really quite human. And the same with the other the other heroes and heroines in my book. That they're real people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, when you when you go to start to write a new story or a new book, um, do you start with kind of those overarching themes that you want to then trickle down to what your characters and your stories are? Or do you start with the story? Or do you start with characters? How does that usually work for you? Or is it different every time? You know, it, I, it varies a bit. But I think usually um, I, know a, I know a feeling that I want to convey. And it doesn't always form up to be um, a solid theme for a little while or a moral premise, uh, and you can learn that in structure. But I think I know what I want the reader to get out of it. I, want, I know what I want them to feel. And I always know that an inciting, an inciting incident in my story. I know how it's going to end, and I know what the climactic moment is going to be like. Everything else just kind of fills itself in from the beginning to the end. But it's not long before I'm going that I, that I know I know what I'm trying to convey. I know what I'm trying to evoke in my reader as far as, um, you know, they get the themes without me kind of beating them over the head with it, which I think is really important. It's it's, uh, it's organic to the story. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's, it's probably really neat to develop theories instead of doing standalone books because you get to develop the characters even more and the storyline even more. And um, you kind of get to have a relationship with the books for a longer time than you would if you didn't. I do. All of my books can be read as standalones, um, but each each one does have a secondary character that kind of gets spun off to become the, the feature character in the next book. Mm. So I'll have readers who will tell me, um, you know, oh, I read this and I didn't realize that there were other books in that series too. And then I have ones that are like, no, I only read it in a row, <laughs> you know. So, or they go back and read it in a row if they haven't. Um, but they can be read as standalones, and I do get to know them. Uh, this new one was particularly interesting for me because uh, my feature character in Maybe It's You, uh, Sloane Farrell, uh, was a very, very minor walk-on character in the first book of the series. And in the second book of the series, she played a a secondary character with a bit more of a part, and I had actually intended to kind of leave her behind, uh, and I ended up, she's the star of this first book. <laughs> so I've never had that happen before. She really wanted her story told, so uh, we did it. <laughs> it's interesting. It is. It's so interesting how the characters, well, um, when I've talked to other authors, what I've realized is they the best authors kind of let the story become instead of dictating every detail. And so like you're saying, originally you thought, oh, Sloane will just be in the background or kind of left out. But then you realize, no, she's personified. She did want her story told. And that's really neat to me. I it, was, it, was, it was challenging, too, because Sloane, um, my readers will tell you, Sloane is not the most likable character. Uh, 
particularly in that second book, and uh, I never intended this for her, but I had to crawl inside her head to write the story, and that was challenging because she's she's not much like me, but I, I began to really just feel for her. I, I needed to know, and I think the readers would need to know, what, what shaped her? Why was she this way at this point in her life? And we do that. We do that, and maybe it's you. I, I think she she really touched my heart. And I feel like she she will do that for the readers as well. I'm so pleased that the Tyndale editors uh, allowed me to do that uh, with her. It was my first, basically my first redemption story. Uh, it felt a little risky at first, but I really like I really like the bridge. Do you, do you find it hard to, uh, once you're finishing a book or once you're finishing a series, to kind of say goodbye to your characters, or are you you feel like you, you've told their story and it's time to move on? Oh, no. I I hold them dear. <laughs> I do. I let, I, sometimes I chuckle at uh, another character in uh, or no, Trauma Clan, who was an ex-rodeo clown. He was a secondary character. He ended up being just a really amazing mentor to the hero. Uh, spoken down really young clown who worked at the clinic and and just kind of did this and that and he would he would make sandwiches for for the for the patients who, who were hungry or hadn't seen some good times and there would always be peanut butter sandwiches and in the book somewhere we say that uh, he was he was slathering these sandwiches with peanut butter and hope uh, his name was Bandy Biggs and I uh, I missed him after the story, and it, sometimes I like to think he's still sort of hanging around in my office, you know, <laughs> bull-legged and passing off peanut butter and milk. Mm, that's really neat, Candace. I like that. Just as much as, like, I would get attached to a character in a book I'm reading or a movie I'm watching, I can't imagine how it must be for you, the writer and the creator of these characters. Uh, I'll tell you what, I've cried on the keyboard a few times, and I think most authors will tell you the same thing. <laughs> really means your emotions are going into it. We won't, we won't hold it against you if, if we catch you talking to your characters. <laughs> yeah. that are floating <laughs> in your <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Now, Candace, kind of shifting to more of a uh, topic that hits all of us probably today, you know, some of us go to the ER, we all go to the doctor, obviously, and um, crisis teams are becoming very important in today's world, and they might not seem, you know, that relevant to us, you know, we see an ambulance or a fireman, you know, race down the street, so how, how would you encourage us to pray for them, to minister them? I, for example, have a friend who's an ER nurse in San Diego, and her world is just so unlike mine that sometimes it's hard to know how to talk through the difficulties of the position. I think you make a very good point there. Uh, and like I said before, we tend to think of these people as being strong and capable and skilled. And while they are, they're really just they're just human beings. Now, my my. Uh, crisis teams, the community responders that I'm writing about in this series particularly um, are, are seen today. Uh, more and more there's an urgent need for volunteers and with a variety of skills. I think what I love 
the most about these community volunteers is that um, they come from many walks of life. I mean, they're teachers, they're office workers, they're retired nurses, and they work in publishing. They're, they're people, regular people who just feel a real call that, to help their communities in this way. And, and they're not the people that are there with the shovels or the fire axes or they're stringing up the crime tape. These are, these are people that just that go in and respond in a very different way. Uh, I talked to one San Diego crisis responder who, who described it as being emotional paramedics. I just love that. Mm -hmm. uh, it fits. These volunteers go through extensive training to uh, minister to the survivors of crime, not the victims. The survivors, they're called in by the police after the incident, and they, they're there to provide a, a compassionate presence for these survivors after things that are, that are, that are dread to think about, uh, drownings, shootings, sudden infant death, uh, weather disasters. They go in there with just themselves, the gift of themselves. They're there to listen and be there. They have not other than maybe a bottle of water and a teddy bear. These people are, are helping are helping survivors in a moment when their lives are forever changed. It's amazing. I mean, they, they'll provide resources, they'll answer questions, um, but really they're just there to listen. Mm -hmm. And it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Uh, but as one uh, trauma survivor said, it was, it was like having an angel on my side. Mm -hmm. Yes, I and I wanted to show them as the unsung heroes that they really are. Mm-hmm. And Candace, I'm thinking just back to your career before becoming a writer. You must have stood out because of the faith you had in Christ. Because I can only imagine how difficult it is, no matter how good you are at compartmentalizing your career versus your personal life. This would take a toll on anybody. And if you didn't have the hope of the Lord it'd be really easy to despair. It would be. Um, and, um, you know, it used to be that there was very little um, overt prayer and sharing of faith in hospitals, which was, which was a big shame. It's changed now, and I'm really happy uh, to see that happen. We are ministering more to, um, to the Spirit, of our patients, uh, you know, and it's going to be diverse too, which is a challenge. Um, but also, it, it's it's wonderful. It, it, it is comforting for the for the staff to to have that and to, and to pray for each other and to pray for their patients and with their patients. I've prayed with my patients before, and um, it's a connection that I don't know that I'll ever. Uh, feel in that way again, except maybe through my fiction. I feel that way when I'm sharing these things with my readers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and to answer your question about how can you pray, um, these volunteers are, are taught to um, to minister to survivors, but also they're taught to to take care of each other and to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the best thing to do is to pray that they can do this that each time they walk into a crisis situation that they feel God's protective presence uh, and listen for his voice, not only for who they're caring for, but for themselves as well. Mm -hmm. That's a really good word. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really important. Even 
as you know, you see Christ's example, no matter if you're going into a traumatic uh, environment or not, whenever we minister to the spiritual needs of people, we need to be filled by the Lord. And um, it's easy to think like, oh, I don't really need to care for myself or for the other people ministering. I can do it. And that never works out too well. Or you won't be able to sustain it for very oh, long. It's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. It will become, I think we become, can become self-protective in destructive ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's really hard in your part, but... But some you can become self-destructive, as you'll see in, in um, this book. There can be alcohol problems. There can be uh, behavioral problems, uh, suicide. Uh, the dangers are there uh, if you don't if you don't have that faith. If you don't have hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and that that negative side is the side that we always see portrayed in these TV shows and movies, so it's it's good to have uh, works like yours that show that there's hope. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm So, Candace, we had one more question for you. We have heard that you are passionate about cooking and wondering if you want to share a little bit about that. You recently released a novella called The Recipe, and um, we just want to hear more about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess uh, it's no secret. Uh, people that follow me on Twitter and especially Facebook are going to see a lot of food photos. Oh. <laughs> That's a one lot. Of the great things about social media. Uh, everyone <laughs> loves food. You know, what's fu- funny is uh, I can't tell you more than once I've, I've been at a conference or somewhere and uh, I'll be talking to somebody for the first time and they'll say, we've never met, but I can tell you what you ate for dinner five <laughs> week last week because I watch your food photos. Mm-hmm. I, I do love, I do love cooking. Uh, I'm passionate about it. The recipe was, was my first um, novella and I had a lot of fun with it. Um, not only the fact, you know, that I got to uh, have a heroine who was who was uh, also so passionate about uh, about cooking because because I got to indulge that and um, there's things, something about cooking to me that is is equally creative with writing it it almost feels like you know I'm I'm sprinkling herbs and spices kind of like I'm doing the the imagery or the snippets of dialogue and story so it's it's quite similar mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, four years ago, my husband and I became vegetarians, so that kind of stretched uh, my my thoughts as far as creative cooking goes. And I've come up with a, with a lot of uses, which has been really fun. And uh, we've uh, removed our lawn and our backyard and a whole bunch of uh, raised beds for vegetables. So now I'm like a little vegetable farmer out there, <laughs> <laughs> and bringing those in to do uh, to do more uh, interesting dishes. And you know, it's been a good year. Eggplant, tomatoes, squash, lemon, cucumbers. You know, you ask people on Facebook; they've seen them. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to start following you then, because I love to cook. Oh, good. good. That's good. We can share. Well, that's so good, Candice. You have quite a heart to minister to people, and it's a really beautiful thing that you can do that through your work. Well, I tell you, I consider it a huge, huge blessing. Um, 
that I can find that uh, affinity I have for, for words with, um, with what the Lord wants. I, I uh, at first it was it was I wasn't sure I could do it. It just seemed like a big task to write for like for such divine purpose. Like it's been an absolute And Tyndale House has been huge in that lesson. My goodness, what a team you are. I can't say that enough. I, uh, I'm so grateful. Yes, thank you. Well, you make our jobs easy. It's it's authors like you that make us want to come to work every day. So thank you so much, Candace. And we'll be looking out for maybe it's you in the spring. Okay, great. And if people want to connect with you online and learn more about you, where where's the best way to where to, where's the best place to go? You can con uh, send me uh, notes through my website. There's a contact page, but I'm hanging around Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I have an author page. You can put Candace Calvert books in, and uh, I'm there. I think I'm running a giveaway now, and or two, and um, and then and on Candace Calvert, a lot of my uh, Readers also spill over onto my timeline page, and um, that's where lots of pictures. <laughs> Good. Both places, I'm pretty much there. Well, that's wonderful, Candace. Okay, great. Thanks so much. I appreciate this. Enjoy your afternoon. Okay, you too. Thanks a lot. Uh huh. Bye. Bye.